I want to talk about relationships, intentional in relationships. Going to flip the two this morning. This morning, talk about relationships. And then next Sunday morning, the intentional aspect. I want you to understand today why they're so necessary and the ups and downs of relationships, some of the necessary ingredients in great relationships, and then next Sunday, apply that into the intentional side. In your bulletins this morning, I think it's uh, goldenrod sermon notes. Take them out as we walk through our journey together. All of Scripture is a story of relationships. You can't ignore it. No man is an island. You can't ignore the fact that we were designed for that. Our relationships with one another, our relationship with God. One of the very early verses in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2 where God says what? It's not good for man to be alone. Almost all the Old Testament is a story of God's relationship with people. Every time from Genesis to the end, as you begin to unpack the pages of the Old Testament, you will see over and over and over and over again God's relationship with people and our relationship with him. It is the story of relationships. God's design in the New Testament is that we get connected with Christ and with one another within the context of a fellowship called the church. Paul continually talks about it over and over again, that connectedness that we need with one another in the family of God. He describes it in Romans. He describes it in Corinthians. He describes it in Galatians, talking about the connectedness we have with one another in the family of God and how important in Corinthians every part is so that the church functions well when everyone is playing their part and when we're connected with one another. We're made to have relationships no other word defines humanness like relationships. It is the essence of what we're all about. Relationships are what defines us and refines us. Like a piano made to play music, so are we made to have relationships. And many of them come together within the family of God in this context called the church. Recent statistics have revealed, though, that if a person doesn't get connected beyond Sunday morning and then involved, 86% of them will leave within three years. If a person doesn't get connected beyond Sunday morning and get involved in some context or the other, then 86% of them are going to leave within three years. That's why in this last piece of our vision statement, intentional and relationships and service is so critically important so that you understand that. Our main desire here at Community Alliance Church is to get you connected with Christ. It is the most important relationship you'll ever have. And then once you connect with him, our desire is to help you grow in him and his word and reach out to others as well. You do that through relationships and ministries. In a book called The Friendship Factor, Alan McGinnis says this, in our research in our clinic, we found that friendship is the springboard of every kind of love. Friendship spills over into the most important relationships of our life. People with no friends usually have a diminished capacity for sustaining any kind of love with anyone. They have trouble in marriage, and getting along with people at work. On the other hand, those who have learned how to have friends, how to deepen their relationships, tend to have long and fulfilling marriages, get along well with people at work, and really enjoy their children. You and I also know the relationships, as they can bring an amazing amount of joy, can also be incredibly painful. You know, Oxford Dictionary has created a new term. They do that every once in a while. T-bowing is now in the Oxford Dictionary. Another term that the Oxford Dictionary has now brought in is out of the Facebook genre, and that is to what? Unfriend. You know how painful it would be to be unfriended? 
I've been unfriended. I don't even do Facebook. And my whole family at one point got unfriended by somebody our family was keeping in contact with. And I thought, wow, that really hurts. And you know that as well as I do, that they can go through that process. I love the quote of Mark Twain. The more I get to know people, the better I like my dog. (laughs) This morning I want to give you some necessary components for developing good relationships. A lot of what I'll talk about today and next Sunday morning is within the context of small groups. One of the great factors of being a part of the family of God is to get connected beyond Sunday morning and what we refer to as small groups. You can do that in Sunday school. You can do that in other ministries. But one of the ones that we enjoy the most, one of the ones that we talk about a lot, certainly Ted is a part of that ministry and the one that spearheads that ministry, but within the context of connecting with one another on a smaller relational scale than what we have on Sunday morning. One of the hardest things for me on a Sunday morning is trying to remember everyone's names. And, and, and I went through that process when I first came here 17 years ago. I remember learning names real quickly and rapidly. And then I went to 500 and 800 and 900. I could pretty much do everybody's names up until almost 1,000. And then it got more and more difficult. And then I started learning only first names. And now it becomes increasingly difficult. Part of it is age. I get that. And part of it is just sheer numbers. But one of the things that I constantly talk about in membership class is the necessity of getting connected with a group of people that you have some relationships with. On Sunday morning, it's very difficult to do that. And I say to them, I want to be really honest with you. If you decide to join Community Alliance Church, you may be gone for five weeks and no one will notice. So if that's important to you or if that's a part of who you are or if you came from that kind of background in a small church, I want you to know that right up front. So if that's really something that you need to understand, you maybe ought not to join us. And I want, them to, be, I want to be honest right up front. That's one of the, the dynamics. We want to continue to grow. We want to be much larger than we are right now. There's a lot of empty seats. And we want to fill this place twice. We'd love to fill it a third time. There are more people in this community that need to hear the gospel that we represent. But the hardest thing sometimes about a large church is the ability to get connected with one another. That's why we so encourage you to go beyond the Sunday morning experience to within the context of a small group. Small groups or accountability groups, whatever is necessary for you to help beyond that. I want to give you five or six things that are necessary to help you in that process of choosing how to be a part of one of those or choosing how to have good relationships. Number one to me is affinity or good chemistry. Affinity or good chemistry. To me, it's the the, the good fit, the ability to connect with someone. I think it's the often overlooked trait in hiring. Many HR departments, when when you're in whatever category you're in and you're looking for someone, they'll look at their character, hopefully, but they'll most often look at their competence, their ability to perform the task, and they'll say, here's your next person, or here's the one that ought to be with you. I think the one overlooked trait in so many contexts within the hiring HR department of so many organizations is the chemistry that needs to be between people. It's the one thing I look for. I'm not going to hire anybody that doesn't have competence or character, but it's the one thing that we look for within the context of even hiring our staff. The good fit, the chemistry that goes with that. Successful small groups are usually people that you connect with and people that you're able to connect with. We'll talk even more about that next Sunday morning. Number two is acceptance. Acceptance. If you want to have good relationships, there's got to be that context of accepting one another just as Christ has accepted you. 
Romans 15, 7. That's the way Christ accepts us unconditionally, as is. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and we accept his death as penalty or payment for our sins, God accepts us unconditionally. When someone in a relationship accepts you as is, there's an amazing amount of relief and security because you don't have to keep up the facade. Our tendency is to, at times, if we're not careful, be more like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were quick to criticize and quick to judge. Proverbs 17 said, a friend loves at all times. That doesn't mean we approve of everything our friends do. But if we follow the model of Christ, you find him one who was genuinely caring for the person and individual, constantly continuing to accept, extend grace and acceptance even when they fail. I'm not sure if it's in your sermon notes, but write down Galatians 6.1. Because I think it's one of the overlooked verses in all of the New Testament church. And certainly in what I see in many churches today. Where it says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And be very careful that you also may be tempted. Two key words in that verse, restore and Gently. You've heard it said, I'm sure, a thousand times, but the Christian army is the only one that shoots their wounded. And so often when people fail or failures come, we forget how we've been forgiven. We forget how Christ accepted us. We watch people we expect a lot, and I certainly do as well. Been in the process I shared with you a couple of weeks ago of hiring a new administrative assistant. And one of the things I said in some of the interviews, my expectations of people are so high, I don't even meet my own expectations. And so I get that, and I understand that. But I think one of the things we so often fail to do correctly within the body of Christ is sometimes applying this scripture, and that is when we see someone fall, to restore them gently. And restore and gently are two absolutely critical words in that process. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. None of us are without sin. None of us are without failure. I think one of the beauties a church that really understands godly and biblical relationships are people who understand how to do that, how to understand how to restore gently. When we accept other people's imperfections, we stay in touch with our own. It's a whole lot easier to extend the hand of acceptance when with the other hand we're receiving acceptance and forgiveness from Christ for the sins that we have committed. After that level, it's easier to go to the next, which is authenticity and honesty. Authenticity and honesty. You want to have good relationships, be yourself. Not who you want others to think you are. You want to have good relationships and you want to have a great small group, you've got to be willing to be yourself, not what others think you are. A couple of weekends ago, I guess last weekend, we came home on Friday night from a conference only to find out that we already knew this part, that our washer wasn't working. We had then a leak in the bathroom that was pouring down onto the floor and the next morning woke up and found out our furnace wasn't working. So it was an interesting weekend to come home to. I know they say everything comes in threes, and I don't believe that, but everything seems to come in three. We had a repairman out on Monday morning to get everything going, and, and he was there for a little while, and then he said a fascinating statement to me. He said, um, if someone didn't know what you did for a living, they'd have a hard time believing that you're a preacher. And I went, yes. Because I don't want to look like one. 
I grew up in the 70s and 80s of ministry, and everything in the 70s and 80s of ministry was all about image and making sure that I fit a certain mold. And believe me, I've been here 17 years, so you know I don't fit a mold. But so often we have a hard time doing that within the context of genuine, honest relationship, being who we are. Rich relationships involve transparency, self-disclosure, being vulnerable, being honest, being genuine, not hiding behind work or exercise or religion. Authenticity is when who we are in the inside is consistent with how we present ourselves on the outside. Authenticity is who we are on the inside is consistent with how we present ourselves on the outside. And one of the places that don't do that well is with the church. I'm fascinated every time when I hear conversations about people that go to certain churches and maybe every once in a while even go to ours when someone says, I didn't know they went to your church or I didn't know they were believers. Or they'll see certain behaviors and wonder about how you end up being one thing on a Sunday morning and another thing throughout the week. Your kids wonder, not yours personally, some other people's kids, wonder about that as well and they get very confused about how different some people can be on a Sunday morning and how they are on Tuesday night or Thursday afternoon or Saturday evening and then Sunday morning start that cycle back all over again and then Monday are different. Genuine authenticity, a relationship that you want to have with people that you're close to is being honest with who you are on the inside and making sure that's consistent with how we present ourselves on the outside. There's a fascinating story. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament is between Jonathan and David. Believe it or not, I'm going to talk about that this morning in Sunday school in the kids' department. (coughs) David was the next king. Saul was the king at that particular time. And David was the next anointed king before Saul was ever dethroned. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David became great friends. And there's a fascinating piece in the Old Testament when Jonathan came to David at one time and he took off his armor, he took off his priestly robes, his princely robes, and he laid it all down. All the things, all the perks that identified him as being royalty, he took them off. In effect, he was saying, I don't want these things to come between us. Three and a half years ago, or two and a half, three years ago now, we started a small group, and uh, I became the leader, invited some people to participate with us, and now for almost three years we've been together. One of the questions that we asked one another within that context is, I being the senior pastor, am I going to be willing to be vulnerable? Am I going to be willing to open up in a context of people within the, volu- or the family of the church? And that was one thing I knew I had to wrestle with. Can I be that honest, that transparent, and that open with a group of people that we're just now developing and deepening relationships with, and would I even be willing to do that? And it's one of the things that we have walked through, and I've taken enormous risks with that group, and none of them have ever, ever bit me because we trust one another. But that's the one thing they kept saying to me, if you're gonna be in our small group, will you be as honest and transparent as the rest of us? Will you tell us really what you're struggling with and what deeply concerns you? There are a lot of people who are afraid to be honest and open with their friends. Some are afraid that if they're not really as spiritual as they pretend to be, their friends aren't going to think that much of them. But delving deep in relationships demands disclosure. It demands honesty and openness. Friends help one another bring out the best in each other. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted with one another in brotherly love. Honor somebody or others above yourself. 
Fourth component for me is accountability. Accountability, Proverbs 27, 17, tells us that iron sharpens iron and so does one brother with another. Friends keep friends on the cutting edge of growth by lovingly monitoring the growth of their friends and being willing to do what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 15, to speak the truth but in love. To speak the truth in love, even if it means confronting the other person but doing it in an incredibly loving way. One of the things that I hope you have built in to your relational aspect with your friends or your accountability group or your small group, whatever that may be, is honest accountability where friends really do share with one another. That takes time to develop. Not everyone earns that right in your life. And not everyone even has that right in your life. But finding those people that you give green light to who have earned that right, who have that right, to share with you, to be honest with you, that you can be vulnerable with, but it can share with you some of the issues they see or some of the concerns they may have, and knowing they're going to do it in such a loving way, you're willing to hear that, and you're willing to respond to what it is they've said. Fifth ingredient to me is affirmation. Affirmation, D.L. Moody said, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. When you're in good relationships, when you have friends that you trust, friends that you've built these other things in with, you have a very unique platform from which to be the world's greatest cheerleader for that other person, where you can encourage them. All of what I'm sharing here this morning applies within the context of a marriage. Marriage partners have one of the greatest platforms in the world to be the greatest cheerleader possible for the other person. Did you ever notice cheerleaders, I know, and I want to be careful with this, but I'm sure a lot of you notice cheerleaders on, on, on a given football game, especially in the NFL. But did you ever notice that cheerleaders continue to cheer whether the team is winning or losing? We don't always do that well. We encourage them on, we cheer them on when they're winning, but when they fail us or fall or they walk away or they don't meet our expectations or they don't live up to what we think they ought to do or think they ought to be, we, we aren't that cheerleader. We do that with our kids. I find it fascinating as I've watched over the last few weeks, especially in high school games, when, kids, when these cheerleaders are cheering whether the team is winning or losing. I thought, what a great parallel for marriage and what a great parallel for relationships. Regardless of the flaws and regardless of the problems, we have the opportunity, one of the greatest platforms on the planet, once we've established those relationships, to be the greatest cheerleader for that other individual. Sometimes you can believe in someone more than they believe in themselves. I am what I am today because of other people in my life. Believe me, not because of my abilities. Because of what others have seen and what they've encouraged in my life. You can do that for other people. You can believe in someone sometimes, many times, more than they believe in themselves. I also encourage you to make sure that you have, if you have that in your life, told one of your closest friends how important they are to you and how valuable they are in that relationship. One of the reasons every year in January we go to this event in the Christian Missionary Alliance called the Large Church Network, which is something that was literally established 16 or 17 years ago when I started here of pastors in large churches, CNMA contexts, who are churches of 900 and more. We have more in common with one another than we do with any other level of ministry. 
And so we share, we learn, we love, we pray, we encourage one another. And there are three of them specifically that I have treasured their relationships more than anything else in my life in, in many ways, in ministry specifically, who encourage me, who love me. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure, because we don't always see each other and can't always connect and many times only get together in January, is to make sure those three guys specifically knew how incredibly valuable they were to me. A person who understands this can walk into a room and make others feel good and lift others up because they understand what a beautiful value affirmation is. Many people say often, how do you learn names? Not me specifically, but I have a hard time learning names or how do you learn names or what's the best things you've learned in learning people's names. One of the things that I have found through the years is that if I'm more interested in how I'm perceived than who they are, I will forget their name. But if it doesn't matter how I'm perceived or how they see me, I'm only interested in who they are, I will learn their name. But so often within the context of meeting new people, we're more concerned as to how we come off or how we appear or what they think of us, that that's our focus and that's our attention and we have failed to miss a conversation that they've already had about who they are and where they're from. But if you find yourself going into relationships where you're more concerned with the other individual and who they are and where they're at, I'm guaranteeing you it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with how you perceive them. We'll say that. Well, I'm too old, I can't learn names anymore. It's not true. It has everything to do with whether or not we see them for who they are and what we want to learn from them or whether we're more concerned as to how we're perceived. Paul in Philippians said, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility consider other people better than yourselves, which is, interestingly enough, the virtue of the month in our family theater this morning. People who focus only on themselves, I call them axis because they think the world revolves around them, usually have themselves as their best friend. Now, that doesn't come natural. Sin causes us to focus on yourself or ourselves. You go back to the failure in the Garden of Eden, and the first thing you'll notice out of that context in the original form is when Adam and Eve sinned, took of the apple, and recognized their sin, the very first response was to cover themselves, not one another, but to only cover themselves. When you're single, and you've been single for a long time, and then all of a sudden go from singleness to marriage, you're going to notice that you've been going down that single selfish track for a long period of time and now you've got to turn around and go down this track where now I'm concerned for the other individual and their needs and their issues and their concerns come before mine. Someone said we become what the person we respect the most believes we will become. We become what the person we respect the most believes we will become. Watch Jesus in the New Testament when he first met Peter. For the very first time, he saw something in Peter that Peter didn't even see. We walk into so many contexts and we put these little invisible numbers on people's head. We don't identify them and we don't say you're a four and you're an eight and you're a six and you're a two. But we do that naturally and, and we find ourselves evaluating people and treating one another based on that invisible number that we've placed on their head and they don't have value and this one does have value or I really want to get to know this person. Jesus sees us not as we are but as we can be. We tend to look at people for who they are or what they bring or what they've done or where they've been. What I love about Jesus is that he sees us as we can be, not as we used to be. The sixth component that's probably one of the most critical is the need to work through relational breakdowns. To give others a second chance. Again, Jesus is the greatest model of that. 
even in his own relationship with Peter. There are a lot of wrong ways to react in bad relationships or when bad relationships go, go bad. I have four Ps down there. They could be other words. One is to be the pouncer. When things go wrong, we jump all over the individual. Others can be the pointer. You did it. They did it. Do you have any idea what they did to me? Some are the powder, the whining all the time, and why me, and I'm so, and that list as list. And others can be the packer, probably other words, but every time something goes wrong, they hold a grudge and take their ball and go home. And every once in a while, I've got to look at my own relationships and the family of God and other people around me and determine which one I have a tendency to be. Normally, it is the, the powder and, and many times the packer. Always amazes me how sometimes we have a hard time forgiving, making an assumption, a major one, that we've done no wrong, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, 32, forgive as you've been forgiven. Now, the good news is that it not only works in friendships, but it also works with God. God loves us like crazy. What I love in the context of Jesus and John is he's walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his crucifixion on a cross and trial and everything that went with that. He made this incredible transition with his disciples, and he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And when we decide to follow Jesus and give our lives into his hands. I, I love that transition that takes place when he looks at us and can call us his friend and I can say that I'm a friend of God. I think that's one of the most amazing statements we could ever make, that I'm a friend of God. That God loves me like crazy, that God cares about me. All over scripture you see God initiating, initiating the relationship, saying, let me forgive your sins. Let me give you a life eternal. Let me give you a brand new start. Let me be everything you're looking for in a relationship. If I were to ask you, I'm sure here this morning, how many of you have some really great friends, many of us would raise our hand. For some, they'd have a hard time raising their hands. They have a few. They're in a group. They're connected with a few people, but they may have a hard time having that one really good friend that they can trust no matter what. But you can have that in Christ. If you're here this morning saying, man, I wish I had some friends. I just wish I had somebody that trusted me and I could trust. Somebody who would give their best for me. Someone that would give their all for me. Someone that would see beyond my stuff and my junk and my idiosyncrasies and love me just for who I am. I want you to know it's Jesus who loves you and I like crazy and really does want to be your best friend. There are things that I tell him that I'll tell nobody else on the planet. And I know that it's okay. And I love that about Christ. I love that about a relationship with God. That we can open up, open up with him and we can tell him everything. I hope you have these other aspects this morning and I hope you look for those in great relationships. Next Sunday morning I want to talk about the intentional side of that, how important it is. And one of the reasons we clearly chose that specific word within the context of the family of God. But if you're one of those this morning that do not have any connectedness to Jesus... I encourage you to reach out to him. There's a great song that we sang right before I came up here this morning. I'm running to your arms. Uh, if you're one of those this morning, I'd encourage you to run as fast as you can, knowing that you're going to be received, accepted, and amazingly loved. Father, I thank you for your grace. 
You are an incredible God who loves us more than we can fathom, who embraces us no matter what we go through or where we've been. And so we come to you this morning thanking you for the relationships that we can have in the family of God. I thank you for many of us in this room who I know have a lot of these aspects going on in, in their relationship with people who are involved and connected and loved and feel loved and feel encouraged and affirmed. And so as we continue to walk through this journey as a family, I, I trust you'll help us to know what to look for. And I trust that we find that here of all places. I trust we can find those things here in our relationships with each other. But I do lift up that one to you this morning who just doesn't have that. I ask that in these quiet final moments that they will run to your arms knowing they're wide open and you will embrace them and you will love them and you will lift them up. And you will be their greatest source of encouragement and strength as they face life. In an audience like this, Lord, I know there are some really lonely people who can be lonely in a crowd. And so I ask, Father, that you will draw them in and fill their emotional tank with your great love. Father, I thank you for your truth, for your word, for examples all the way through Scripture of your love for us and the relationship that you desire from us and with us. I trust that as we walk out of here this morning, we find that in you and more, and we find that in each other. Continue to walk with us as we journey this journey together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Next Sunday morning, we'll continue our journey and talk about how important it is to be intentional in this process. I can pray for you in any way. I'd love to do that. Have a great, great day.